has the victory, it's time we stand and say, let's pray. We serve a God that cares. We serve a God that's mighty. He is the one and only to wipe away all tears. Let's pray. We've seen what he can do. Darkest hour, God's a greatest power, He will get us through. Let's pray. We're on the winning side. Remember where He died, that stone was rolled away. So we can boldly say, let's pray. We serve a God that cares. We serve a God that's mighty. He is the one and only to wipe away all tears. Let's pray. We've seen what he can do in the darkest hour. God's a greatest power, He will get us through. Let's pray. We serve a God that cares. We serve a God that's mighty. He is the one and only to wipe away all tears. Let's pray. darkest hour. God's a greatest power. He will get us through. Let's pray. He will get us through. Let's pray. Amen. Well, we've been, uh, well, we started our Why Rejoice series just a couple of weeks ago. And of course, last Sunday morning, we had our big drive-in Easter Sunday morning service. And boy, that was turned out great. I enjoyed that. And that was a lot of fun. And it was different. It was unique. And uh, boy, but I'm glad to be back here. Uh, unfortunately, during a service like that, we're unable to live stream. And so there were a number of folks, obviously, that, who could not get access to the service that morning. And of course, we want them to be able to do so. But uh, so we meet back here again, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, just uh, what God's going to have in store for us today. Why rejoice? That's a good question. Why should we rejoice? And we began uh, about two weeks ago, as I said. We started in the book of Philippians, and that's where we're going to kind of remain and stay as through the course of this particular series. But we know that this is one of those prison epistles, and Paul wrote this book from prison. Uh, he was not going through the best of times. He was enduring quite a bit of uh, tribulation, if you will, difficulties, struggles, and trials. And yet he's able to write a book, Philippians, or a, book, uh, a letter to the Philippians to encourage them. And the theme of this is joy and rejoicing. And yet Paul, even though he faced all of these uh, obstacles, he was able to write this letter to the Philippians with that theme in mind. Now, the Philippians had a special and a very unique relationship with the Apostle Paul. Uh, 
and they had supported him for a number of, uh, for, for throughout, for quite a while actually, and then there was a time or period of time where they kind of lost track of the Apostle Paul. They didn't know where he had ended up. Well, he, they finally found him. They, they recognized or realized that he was in Rome and he was under lock and key, so to speak. He was prison, uh, a prisoner there. And so they sent um, Epaphroditus there to, uh, just to take a gift to him, to let him know, we're thinking about you. We're praying for you. We love you. And so they sent something with Epaphroditus to uh, be a blessing to the Apostle Paul. Well, he arrives there, and of course, Paul is thrilled to once again reunite and rekindle that relationship that he had with the Philippians. And uh, as uh, Epaphroditus is there, he, he becomes extremely ill, extremely sick, to the point of death. And it's a direct result of his ministry and his work for God. And Paul the Apostle, of course, in his letter makes note of that. He lets the Philippians know that, man, this guy, Epaphroditus, your preacher, he actually was uh, ministering to me, and in the course of ministering to me, he becomes so ill that he almost dies himself. And Paul, in turn, writes a letter to the Philippians to encourage them. And when Epaphroditus is well enough, sends him back with that letter to the church at Philippi. And so we have that letter. And it's called Philippians. And it's a letter that is one of encouragement. And, and it addresses, as I said, that issue of why rejoice. And boy, we live in some days where some people might feel like there's nothing to rejoice about. But let me tell you something. There's a lot to rejoice about. And there really is. We're so grateful, so thankful for what God has done and how he's protected and watched over us. How he's met our needs along the way. And as a church, we're grateful. And boy, I tell you, every time we turn around, our God is always big enough to handle any problem. And boy, the Apostle Paul was in a mess. But boy, when he wrote this letter to the Philippians, I mean, he, he, you would have never known for a moment that he was under lock and key. You wouldn't have known that. And you know, sometimes as believers, if we're not careful, uh, some of our disappointment, our discouragement, and some of our difficulties show on our face way too much. And, you know, we have to be able to get with the Lord, too. We need to be reminded of why we have reason to rejoice. And so we began a couple of weeks ago talking about that, and we said one of the reasons why we can rejoice is because of the promise. And we found that promise in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. The Bible says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Boy, I tell you what, we said that no matter what you do, if you've been saved, God is still holding you. No matter where you are, if you've been saved, God's still there for you. And no matter where you are, if you've been, been saved, God is still working on you. But I'll tell you what, we are blessed today. Why rejoice? Because we have the promise that God's begun a good work in us, and he's going to perform it. He's not going to get finished with us. He's not going to be done with us. We have to, we, he's there for us always. We are saved eternally. And boy, that's a good reason to rejoice, amen? And that's a really good reason. Well, today we want to touch on another reason that we find in the book of Philippians, and it's called the prize, the prize. I want you to take your Bible, turn over to the book of Philippians chapter 3. This is a somewhat familiar passage. I've, uh, I've, I've touched on it, I've hit on it, I've talked about it and spoke about it, preached on it uh, in a couple of other series that we've been in throughout, and so it's, it may be familiar to some, but we're going to look at it, we're going to dig into it, we're going to consider it in the context and we're going to try to understand again what this prize is and then also why it is that we should be so grateful and so thankful and I'll, I'll be so rejoicing over it. Well, you're going to see we got good reason to rejoice. Well, 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Let's read it together. I'll read aloud. You read silently with me. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to take that, that portion of Scripture and break it into three little sections, and uh, then we'll be done today. Before we do that, let's have a word of prayer and ask God's blessing on the message today. Father, we come to you, and we want to thank you for the privilege we have to gather today. We are grateful that you have given us the authority to meet and to continue to bring glory and honor to you. You're so worthy of it. And Lord, throughout history, men and women, boys and girls have gathered, even in the midst of great crisis, to meet and to fellowship for your glory to lift you up and to magnify you and to be taught and to train and to be encouraged in the word of God. Lord, there's no time right now in our country over the last months that we need more encouragement than we do now. And we thank you that we can receive that from your word and through our time with you personally, as well as the opportunity we have to gather in the house of God to be lifted up and to encourage one another and to love and to good works. We thank you now. We praise you. We ask that you take this message and drive it home in our hearts. May we leave here encouraged. May we leave here excited about what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do. And we'll thank you now. And Lord, if there be any that are without Christ that are listening, uh, whether it be through the live stream or even here in our midst today, may they settle their soul salvation, recognizing that the only hope they have is in Christ. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, I want to note his perspective, the Apostle Paul's perspective. Uh, Right off the bat, we notice in the passage, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. His perspective, forgetting those things which are behind. In order to understand exactly what the Apostle's forgetting, you got to go back to the beginning of the chapter. Sometimes, and again, I'm not opposed to this, but if we're not careful, we always jump right to the application of it, but we fail to understand the doctrinal doctrinal side of it. Notice what happens in the book of Philippians chapter 3, if you would. Go back to verse, uh, let's start with verse uh, 4, if you would. Verse 4 of chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Again, to understand what he means by forgetting. What is is the apostle Paul going to forget here? Well, let's see what he's going to forget. He tells us. Notice he says here, um, he's, well, I'm going to go to three and read it. But he says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. You see that? Now watch what he says here and look what he points to. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Wow. Paul here is sharing his credentials, if you will. I'm I'm talking about his credentials as a Hebrew, his credentials as one that is trying to earn God's favor. He could go back in his life and he can look at it and say, now listen, I'm telling you that we as believers, he says, have no confidence in the flesh. But I can tell you this, in the day, I had every reason to have confidence in the flesh. Every reason. 
And he goes on to tell us the reason why he had confidence. You want to talk about a Jew that was fulfilling the law. You want to talk about a Jew that was zealous for the things of Judaism. You want to talk about somebody that was walking the line straight and narrow as far as that faith was concerned. It was the Apostle Paul. If he wanted to commend himself to God, he could easily look back in his past and say, listen, I kept the law as flawlessly as any. I want you to understand that I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I want you to know that I followed the law as as closely as possible. I did everything I was supposed to do. And if anybody was commended to God, if anybody earned favor with God, it would have been me in my flesh. But notice how he continues in verse 7. He says, but what things were gained to me. They used to be gained were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. I like how he ensures that we understand that what he lost or what he suffered and lost was nothing in his eyes at that point. I'm, you know what, doesn't it kind of bother you sometimes and doesn't it kind of eat at you when somebody that knows Christ goes around letting you know how much they had to sacrifice to be a Christian? Doesn't that kind of bother you a little bit? You don't realize how much I had to give up, brother. Man, I had a lucrative business or I had this or I had that or I had fame or I had fortune. I had this and I had that. I, was a, I had this and I don't want to go into all the details that some people like to give, but I'm going to be honest with you. It's ridiculous. You gave up what? The Apostle Paul says, you want to talk about giving something up? I count it but dung, though. He says, you ever been walking walking out in a field on a farm and step in something that's kind of soft? That's what I count it right there. I'm not talking about mud. So he, he, this, is his, this, this is his perspective now. See, he kept that law meticulously and methodically. And although one, at one point in his life, he, he somehow surmised or came up to the idea or got the idea that it, he found favor with God. But he says, now those very things that I thought brought favor with God, I count them as loss. I, I, they're nothing to me. I'm forgetting those things. I'm neglecting to carry those forth in my life. I'm moving ahead with something better now. It's interesting to note, and I think it's important to note this as well, though. The Apostle Paul doesn't list one sinful or bad thing which he counts as loss here. You notice, isn't that interesting? And now, outside of the fact that he was trusting in his flesh to get him to heaven, he was building his own tower of Babel, so to speak. But the fact is that he wasn't pointing to some immorality or some sin. Oh, i got to leave my sin in the past. That's not what he's talking about here. What he lists here are all good things, at least in the eyes of religious people. In the eyes of most of us. Hey, listen, you know what? I, I may not agree with someone being lost, but I can still appreciate and I can respect their morality. Paul was a moral man. Paul was probably a better Christian in action than most Christians are, even before he got saved. It wasn't sin that he was throwing down the tubes. It wasn't sin that he counted his dung. It was the good things that he possessed. It was the good things that he did. But they were all the things that he was using to try to establish his own righteousness before God. 
Paul says, I suffer the loss of all these things that I may win Christ. Again, so many Christians want to talk about how, you know, they suffer the loss of their sin or they're suffering the loss of their bad habits. Let me ask you something. What about those things that you consider good in your life, though? I mean, each of us has those things about ourselves that we view as good or that we take pride in, especially when it comes to the spiritual realm. You know, there are many things about each of us which we subtly use to commend ourselves to God. You know, our works or possibly our spiritual growth or maybe it's our talents that we use for God or the gifts that he's given us or some other religious accomplishments. And we look to those and we somehow think they commend us to God. They make us favorable before God. I, I serve the Lord faithfully. I go to church every time the doors are open. I'm out door knocking and I'm singing in the choir and I do this and I do that. And I try to be kind to people and see God, I'm trying to do my best. And, and, and I, uh, uh, that gives me favor with you. I feel good about my relationship with you now. Paul says, I count those things but dung. Those mean nothing. Because that's my own righteousness if I'm doing it in my own strength to somehow commend myself before God or to find favor before God. If you think somehow singing in a choir makes you right with God, then my friend, that should be done to you. You've got to get rid of it. That's what he's talking about biblically. That doctrinally is what he's dealing with. He's saying, I'm forgetting anything about the past. I don't want to lean on my flesh. I don't want to dwell on my flesh. I don't want to uh, 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 in any way focus on the flesh because those days are gone. Forgetting those things which are behind. Even the good things that people would have said, boy, Paul, you are really godly. Paul says, nah, I have no godliness outside of God himself in me. You got to suffer the loss of these things. You have a high calling, as he'll go on to tell us, and that high calling is to send, ascend out of those things. They can't help you win Christ. So Paul says, you know what? Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind. He goes on to say, though, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. We notice perspective, but now we see his pursuit. I'm reaching forth, he says, unto those things which are before. It's not enough to simply forget those elements in the past that once commended us to God, but now we have to reach forth. See, the Christian life is one of grace. We've been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. And after being saved, we are to strive for conformity, conformity to Christ, to be in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 tells us, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. As we read in the book of Romans, chapter 12, 1 and 2, the Bible tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, the old man will always revert back to the flesh in order to earn God's favor or to try to please God. But the fact is, is this, the only way that you and I can ever please God is by being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So we have to present ourselves a living sacrifice. And like the Apostle Paul, we have to die daily, the Bible tells us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. See, Paul's not looking back anymore. He's not looking into the past. 
He's looking forward now. He's not building his future, his future faith upon his past credentials or his past accomplishments any longer. He's building his future faith on Christ and he is in constant pursuit of his high calling. You know what his high calling is? Christ-likeness. But you know, Paul's not only reaching forth in his pursuits, but he's also reaching forth in his practice. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. In essence, he's saying this, you know, the slate has been wiped clean. I need to start afresh. I need to start anew as if nothing I've done has accomplished anything. See, what he understood is that you, cannot, you can't reach backwards and still reach forward. You can't continue to go back and depend on these things that you once depended on that you found so much comfort in. It's easy to feel comfortable with God if you're placing comfort in your own flesh. It's comforting in a sense. Well, I'm a good person. I try to do my best and my good outweighs my bad and so that's enough. I feel comfortable. Uh-uh. You can't stay there. You can't live your Christian life there. That's not where God would have you because that's not how Christ lived his. The, the fact is, is, that, is that you can't reach back into your life to live your future. you got to reach forward. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. I'm not going to depend on my flesh. I'm not going to depend on my works. I'm not going to lean on those things which I used to do to commend myself to God or to be right with God or to find favor with God. I'm going to reach forward now. Reach forward in grace and reach forward in my actions and attitude completely. And so... Practically speaking, the Apostle Paul is saying, you know what? I accomplished quite a bit in the past. Not just in my flesh, but even once I got saved, there's so many things that I've done. I mean, I went about preaching and teaching, and I was used of God to see many souls saved, and God used me to even see churches started and planted, and, and, and I've been blessed to watch as the world has changed and turned upside down for Jesus Christ. But, but, but hold on. There's so much more that needs done yet. He says, i got to reach forth past or outside of that Roman Empire that I've been preaching and teaching in. I mean, the Isles of Britain, the, barbar uh, the, the barbaric Picts and Scots, the Huns and the Goths, Goths, all of these people, even outside of the Roman Empire, they're in dire need of Jesus Christ. They're lost without Him. They're going to die and go to hell. I can't continue to look back. I've got to go forward. So we note his perspective, we see his pursuit, but I want you now to note his passion, his passion. Again, Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 are our text, and I want to reread those, but the Bible tells us, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. His passion. He says, you know, 
this one thing I do. And you'll notice there he's a common, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. And it's almost as if now he's expressed what, what, what it's going to take to accomplish his tremendous passion. What he has to do in order to obtain what God specifically desires for him. I, I got to forget those things which are behind. I can't rely upon my flesh. I can't rest upon my laurels. I, I can't stand back there even on what I've accomplished in Christ since being saved. I've got to go forward. I've got to reach forward. Why? Because this one thing I do, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the one thing. I mean, throughout the entire passage, we see Paul as one running a race. I mean, his head is thrust forward. I mean, his expression is that of relentless determination. Every nerve is tense and, and every, every muscle is strained in his body. His chest is heaving with every breath and his whole body is stretched to the uttermost. He's striving and he's going forward and he's trying to reach the goal. He's trying to reach the finish line. You watch a sprinter run and they run and they, they, they give it everything they've got and their veins are popping out of their neck and their, their chest is heaving as they breathe, running down that 100-yard dash or that 220 or that 440 yards. And as they get closer to that finish line, it seems their body almost leans forward. They're, striving, they're trying to get to it as fast as they possibly can. I want to reach the finish line. I want to get to the, the finish right now. I want to come in first place even. Boy, they just stretch it all out there. And they try to reach that ticker tape, so to speak, and take it down first. Paul the Apostle, that's the image we have of him in this race. Man, he's not looking back now. He's not going back there at all. He's reaching forward. Not only that, but he's pressing. He's pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It has to be understood, I think, first of all, that he's pressing in the long run to get to the finish line because he wants the prize. <laughs> you say the prize? Before we ask and answer what the prize is, we have to first understand that every believer has the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, by the way. I think it's important to realize that what Paul's talking about here is not exclusive to him. I mean, when he says here, he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus is not the prize. It is the prize of that. Every one of us have the calling. Every one of us are to be, have, have, have this high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The moment you came to Christ, the moment you received the Lord, you have this. I have this. Each of us has been called from darkness into his marvelous light. We have all been delivered from sin and called uh, to walk in newness of life. We all have that new creature living in us. We all possess the new nature and we have that new name written down in glory. We all have that. And Paul is pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, he's not living for himself, but he has been resurrected from the dead to a life in Jesus Christ. He is in the race and he's living for God. And that race has a finish line and that finish line is called the mark. Whereupon finishing our race, we, 
He says we're going to receive a prize. Now again, we all have the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I believe that that high calling is none other. It could be simply said as this. To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You have a calling, a high calling. There's no better calling than to be Christ-like. Everything else will fall into place if we strive to be Christ-like. Everything else works out if we just are Christ-like. Our marriages, our relationships, our families, our churches, our world, if we would all strive to be like Christ, let me tell you, we wouldn't have the problems we have. We've got a high calling, and that's a high calling indeed to be Christ-like. And by the way, God doesn't call us to be or to, to arrive somewhere that we don't, we're not given the ability to do so. You, listen, this idea that you and I could never be like Christ, well, then why'd he tell us to be like Christ? I, I just want to encourage you to recognize and understand that if there's any failures in my life, it is not God's fault. It's not because he hasn't provided for me or he hasn't given me the opportunity. It's because I have failed to, uh, to, to, to embrace them or I have failed to apply those truths. I've allowed it to falter and fail, not God. We all have the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're all in a race and moving toward the finish line. Everything in our lives is permitted by God to help us reach the finish line competent and complete and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, his dear son. Our prize awaits us and we cannot allow anything to distract or detour us on this journey. See, the race culminates with a prize. Not only reaching the finish line, but the prize. You say, what's that? Well, I believe the prize, putting it as simply as I possibly can, is our eternal inheritance. I mean, we look forward to being caught up into the presence of Christ to hear him say, well done. We look forward to a new body like Jesus Christ's resurrection body. We look forward to a new Jerusalem in which we will live in mansions. We look forward to running the race well in anticipation of the glorious privilege to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. We look forward to the rewards that are prepared in, uh, for the faithful. Paul would describe the scene of a coming judgment in which the faithful would receive reward for their lives lived on behalf of Jesus Christ. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's interesting that we are to strive for conformity to Jesus Christ while on earth. Do you know who we will be like in heaven? Jesus. We will obtain the prize. We will obtain Christ's likeness and everything that goes with it. The inheritance. Notice what he says here. In chapter 3, for other foundation, verse 11, can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's interesting how everything begins with Jesus, everything ends with Jesus. And the Bible tells us he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the great I am. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Until you've laid that foundation you are still lost in sin and you have no hope of eternity. 
Now, if any man build upon this foundation, that foundation being Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. By the way, every one of us are going to build on this foundation. And we are going to build either gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble. I don't know about you, but I want to build some gold. And if he wants to throw a little silver and precious stones in there, that's okay. Man, I certainly don't want it to be wood, hay, or stubble, do you? I don't know. Let me ask you. I mean, I can answer in the affirmative today. I've done a little building with wood, hay, and stubble in my day. I built some things on the foundation like that. But notice what it says. Every man's work shall be made manifest. It's going to be revealed, made known. For the day shall declare it. What day? The day of that judgment day, the judgment seat of Christ. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Of what sort? Is it gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble? If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. We know what fire does to wood, hay, and stubble, don't we? But when it comes to gold, silver, precious stones, fire only purifies it even more. No matter what age or time in human history you may have lived, and you're living now, of course, we all understand the value of gold, silver, and precious stones. It's interesting to me sometimes how people are critical of the Word of God. They'll say things like, well, you know, in that old King James Bible, you can't even understand it. You know, there's that word. What's that word supposed to mean today? You know what that word means today? The same as it meant 50 years ago. You know what it means today? The same thing it meant 100 years ago. You know what it means today? The same thing it meant 1,000 years ago. See, words change, don't they? But God's word doesn't. Hold on. You want to know what happens here? God is trying to give us something. God's using something here. Uh, you, listen. Someone says, well, okay, so there's going to literally be gold going through a fire in heaven? I don't know. What I do know, though, is every one of us understand what's taking place here because of the way it's being phrased and talk, talked about. You go ahead and change the words in the Bible, you change the meanings. The King James Bible is the same as it was 400 and some years ago. And it was, it was wrote in a way to where every generation from way back can understand what it means to even today. Do you know that Koine Greek is what was used to write the New Testament? And Koine Greek is a dead language, which means the meaning of words will never change. God doesn't want the words changing because he doesn't want the meaning changing. He wants to be able to hold us all accountable when we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ on equal ground. Well, that word didn't mean what it meant a hundred years ago when they got it. When I got to it, it was different. And that's why I messed up, Jesus, because your word was different then. Uh-uh. Can't do that with God's word. God made sure of it. I love this. Gold, silver, precious stones. 
Hey, that's pretty good stuff right there. The idea is that it'll be well worth living our lives on behalf of Jesus Christ. And I can understand that now. I could understand it uh, 200 years ago, and you'll understand it 200 or 2,000 years from now if you got a King James Bible. Matter of fact, the uh, the scriptures list a number of crowns that may be awarded as a result of our obedience as well. We see that one of the first crowns is a victor's crown. That crown is going to be awarded to those who discipline their minds and discipline their lives in the study of God's word and prayer. Faithful, faithful, faithful people. The victor's crown. The second is a crown of rejoicing. That's going to be given to those who have led people to Jesus Christ and have made it important in their life to expand and to, to, to grow the kingdom by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third crown is that of the crown of righteousness. It's going to be given to those who have longed for the Lord Jesus Christ and his return, have looked to the heavens and said, come back, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I can't wait to see you. The fourth is the crown of life. It's given to those who have endured and triumphed over trial and temptation and persecution. Many times it's referred to as the martyr's crown. There's a debate whether you have to literally die for Christ to receive it or not. And yet, may I say this, it seems pretty apparent in Scripture. You take it or leave it, but we have to die every day. Then there's this fifth crown, the crown of glory. It is awarded to faithful shepherds of the people of God, often referred to as the pastor's crown. Hey, listen, God help us to stand before him that day unashamed and ready to receive the victor's crown, ready to receive the reward that God intends for us to receive as we run this race carefully and faithfully. What's the prize? Well, to hear him say, well done, to receive the rewards of a race well run, to rule and reign with Christ, to have a new body like Christ's resurrected body without sin, to be Christ-like, not just striving for it, to literally arrive there. And that's what Paul's saying. He had, <laughs> Paul hadn't arrived yet. He tells us that in, in, in the passage even. Well, what's he waiting for then? He's waiting to see Christ face to face. At that point, he'll be like Christ. It's amazing what the inheritance is all about. Notice what he says. uh, The Apostle Paul speaks here in the book of Romans. Turn there and we'll close this out. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, kind of sums all this up kind of like. Notice what he says there in Romans 8, 16 through 18. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I don't know about you, but that does something for me. I'm a joint heir with Christ. How's that happen? How is it that he's placing me on the same ground as Christ? Joint heir. It's like him and I are together. It's like we're joint heirs here. We're equal heirs here. How's that possible? That's a pretty big prize. Now, it's not saying that I'll be God. We know Jesus is. But I'm in Christ. 
We know that the, 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 the church pictures uh, the, the bride of Christ or pictures uh, the, the marriage pictures Christ and his bride and there's oneness that's achieved in the relationship between husband and wife and there'll be oneness between us with Christ. Joint heirs. Amazing, isn't it? He goes on to say, if so be, he says, and, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Man, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, I don't care how bad it's getting in your life. I don't care what you're facing today. Yes, it's horrible, and there are circumstances and situations that can weigh us down and are so difficult and so heavy. They can break us, it seems. He's saying, but I want you to realize, quit looking down, just look up. Recognize that there's something to strive for. There's a reason to rejoice. It's that prize that you have to look forward to. Don't keep looking into the past and don't allow your life to be built on something in the flesh. Build it on Christ. Look forward to what God has in store for you. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I ain't like Christ yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark. I want to get to the finish line. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I don't want to just be striving to be Christ-like. I want to be Christ-like. What a prize. What a prize. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Receive these rewards for a race well run. Could you help me rule and reign? By the way, how do you like that new body that's not stained and tainted by sin? Do you like your mansion in New Jerusalem? Is it going okay for you here? Philippians, I know you're going through a rough time. The truth is, so am I. But boy, I'm telling you, I got a reason to rejoice, he says. Sometimes this race gets tough and sometimes it's difficult and there's a burden to bear. But there's a prize that awaits me at the finish God help us to finish strong, recognizing we have a reason to rejoice. That reason is the prize. Do you know Christ as your Savior today? If you died, I mean right now. Could you with confidence know that heaven's your home? Oh, not, not, not because you've tried to be a good person. Not because your good outweighs the bad. Not because somehow you've, you've convinced yourself that God should show favor to you because, well, I mean, you're kind to people and you're nice to folks and you're even benevolent and you're giving in so many cases. No, I mean, do you have a foundation of what you're building on now? Something that doesn't sink. I mean, maybe your attitude or your actions might change along the way. If you're trusting in that to get you to heaven, you'll have no confidence. 
But I can guarantee you who you can have confidence in, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you'll build your life on him, I promise you, you'll never sink. Have you trusted Christ? Have you received the Lord into your life? Have you called upon him like the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everlasting life is what you'll receive. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that he's who he claimed to be? Do you believe that he's able to save if you ask? Then what's keeping you from asking? Receive him today. Invite him into your life and start building on him. You'll never regret that. And as a believer, how's that going? What are you sending ahead? Gold, silver, precious stones, a wood, hay, stubble. Let's stop looking back at our righteousness. Stop looking at ourselves in a way that somehow commends us before God because we're singing in a choir or we're trying to do our best to live for Jesus. I'm going soul winning. I'm reading my Bible and praying, so therefore God must love me now. Paul says, I'm not looking back there. I count that but dumb. That's nothing to me. What matters to me is that I draw nigh to Christ, that I become Christ-like. I'm depending on his grace. Without his grace, I have nothing and I have no one without him. I'm nothing without him. Build your life on Jesus. Father, we come to you. We need you. We thank you for this time we've had together and just the word of God is, is, is so wonderful and it, it's so revealing. It, it, it's so, it, it clarifies our view. It helps us to see things the way it really is. It just seems today, Lord, in our lives, I mean, there's so much activity. There's so many things going on. And even though we've got these stay home orders in place, and even though some have not been able to go to work and life has seemed to change, the truth is, is that Sometimes we get the wrong idea of what life is and what it's really all about, even as believers. And what we realize, Lord, is still about you. And you're the only reason that we have the life that we have and the hope that we have and the future that we have. May we not lose sight of you. May we strive to be Christ-like and rejoice every day as we remember that when we hit that finish line, there's a prize that awaits us. The battle will be over then. Oh, Father, help us. We need you today. If there be any without Christ, may they settle their soul salvation. Even now, if someone's watching, even via live stream, right where their head is bowed, maybe they're here in the auditorium even, Lord, give them the faith to believe in you even now. Maybe you need to trust Christ and you're watching us via live stream. Won't you simply say in your heart, maybe you're in this room, you need to trust him. Won't you simply say in your heart, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. Right now, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to be my savior. I'm trusting you, Jesus, and only you to forgive my sin. 
to save my soul and to take me to heaven one day. Father, I pray if anyone prayed that prayer and meant it, that they would understand that you meant it when you said you'd hear them if they called on you. Lord, I pray you'd just be with them. and Lord, be with us as believers now in this time of invitation. Be glorified, Lord, as we recommit ourselves to you and to Christ's likeness. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed.